podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Courtside Fracker. This is episode 57. I'm joined with two merry men. We've got himself, YJ Yassin. How's it going, brother? All good, bro. All good, all good. How things? Not too bad, man. Bit sore. Played a bit of hoops yesterday. Banged up, bruised. But we here. And we also have with us, we got Reams again. How's it going, bro? Yeah, man, it's going good. Two weeks in a row now. <laughs> Shocking. But yeah, man, it's going good. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the college basketball, so everything's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, gracing us with our with your presence two weeks in a row is a big deal. So you gotta make this a good one. Maximize the time. Um, just a bit of housekeeping. Obviously, uh, we have our YouTube and our Spotify feed, uh, or podcast feed, I should say. We'll be consolidating that with some of our other Touchline Sports. Uh, so moving forward, our courtside episodes as well as pit stop fracker and ringside fracker will all be seen on the same podcast feed moving forward. It won't affect any of our days, but just to keep you guys aware, that's how we'll be rocking moving forward. Uh, so keep an eye on that and give the other podcasts a listen. Uh, make sure you're following us on, on Twitter, on Instagram, at courtside fracker as well. Um, so getting into the news for this week, uh, not too, too much, a, a bit more of a drama-centric week, I would say. As first and foremost, with JJ Redick being traded from the New Orleans Pelicans to the Dallas Mavericks, there's been a bit of fallout. Uh, so from his podcast, um, he's basically outlined some of the behind-the-scenes isms and schisms from from that trade debacle. Um, he had some interesting things to say about the executive uh, David Griffin. Um, Guys, what did you make of, of, of his sort of uh, story surrounding the sort of timeline of, of when he put in his trade request and the quote-unquote broken promises that were made uh, by David Griffin? I think, um, I think it's, it's one of the, we've kind of touched on it before when we talk about player power and everything like that. Everyone kind of knows that there is this trade-off between players' interests and franchises' interests and organisations' interests and at the end of the day, with the with the nature of trades and everything like that, you you need to give to get, and you need to manoeuvre around things. And sometimes players can be seen as assets more than people. Sometimes, and like the whole wave situation is is a shit one to see, and everything like that. Um, like we we we, we traded Jeff Teague for him to get waved by the Magic, and before he got picked up by the Bucks, even though I've been pulling my hair out of this guy as a player on the Celtics this year, I was I was still like, ah, oh, this guy, man, like he's been waived. He, who knows if he get another team? He landed on his feet, but that's obviously not the story for everybody. And and some people can be out of the league and, and out of a job and it's tough. I guess the difference with JJ Reddick is he seems like this model pro who's done right by um, every franchise he's been with and players speak so highly of him and he's well liked around the league. And he's... 36, I think. So he's coming to the very, very end. Um, everyone kind of assumed he'd be a buyout. He thought he'd be a buyout. And I think even on his on his podcast, um, where he sort of revealed this, this frustration at the Pelicans, he said it as well. He he was like, he's done everything right and, and moral and straight lined for 15 years of his career. And he kind of hoped for something, like an acknowledgement of that and something back. And he didn't get it. He got traded to Dallas when he wanted to go back home and he wanted to be near his family in Brooklyn and everything like that. And I guess if you're a young player looking at it, outside the Pelicans even, I think Reams maybe can talk about what it might mean for someone like Zion or, or whoever who might be looking sideways at a franchise that they need him to commit to. Um, outside the Pelicans, if you're a young player, you look at it and think, so hold on, you want me to do right by every franchise I'm with for 15 years and then by the end of it, I might not get nothing back. So uh, it's, it's not great when, when franchises do it. Um, we don't know everything that gets done behind scenes, but you don't always hear players. You do sometimes speak so candidly about you're not going to get honesty from those guys. Yeah. And when someone like JJ Reddick, who always has been quite, not mild, yeah, mild-mannered, I guess, but just he's a, he's a model pro, isn't he? He's not like out here like KD, who he might touch on in a little bit on Insta doing whatever. Um, 
if even he is just like, yeah, no, nah, they're snakes. It's, it's a bit of a black mark and you do wonder what ramifications there'd be around the league uh, for it. So uh, to, to add, a, add a little bit more context to it, uh, we, we sort of touched on it, uh, him wanting to be closer to family. Obviously, the, the finer details in that was he wasn't asking to be traded to a contender. He wasn't really too fussed about it being a sort of uh, accolade-driven move. It was to be with or within within commutable distance to his family. His son is yeah, starting to garden so in he Brooklyn. Was like, he was like anywhere in the northeast. Anywhere in the northeast, exactly. Milwaukee, so. Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Boston, Boston anywhere it, close. He, he wouldn't give a shit. Just anywhere close to there. Detroit's even close. Like who, whatever. Just what he just wanted to go home. Obviously, COVID's had a massive impact um, on loads of people who are away from families. Obviously, he's at a stage in his life where. I imagine 36, his daughters or sons or whatever are, are at that age, you want to be around all the time and, and they will miss their family. So I think that adds to it. Like, it's not like he had one destination. He, he gave them a lot of leeway with it. He was just like, just that part of the country. He went further west. They moved him further west away yeah. from there. Oh, Pete. Yeah, the, so worst, the, the worst thing about it to me is that he had the discussion with him right at the start of the season. He was like, basically, as soon as Stan Van Gundy came in, he, he realised that the, the Pelicans were going to move towards like a more defensive style of play, which he just said this wasn't going to suit him because at this stage of his career, he's not really a defensive player. So he from then said, okay, can you try find me a situation to get out of it? And, and, he, and I believe he said David Griffin told him, just give us a couple months. You give us a couple months and you're still feeling the same way you want to get traded, I will, I will find something for you. And of course, we have the discussion. He said something in the northeast. So if they couldn't find a trade, the the assumption was he's just going to get bought out. But the thing is, what what people need to realize is that these players get like derided if they are not loyal to teams and stuff like that. But like they don't ever get the same energy back from those teams. You know what I mean? And like the um the Pelicans essentially what they did was they didn't want to lose JJ Reddick without getting anything in return. So they literally, they gave Reddick their word. And then when it came down to it, they went back on their word and focused on the business side of things, which is a bad look, in my opinion, just for like front of, for, for, for the Pelicans front office, for David Griffin, and just for how basketball teams treat their players in general. So yeah, for me, I think, I think it's a bit of a stinky look. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement there. That's, that's pretty much the backbone to all of my points. Whenever the player power conversation comes up, whether it's James Harden dialing it in or ex-player saying that he wants to sign a new contract somewhere and then come free agency dips out, I, th I think I think that that dynamic shifting in the players' side for me sits better than the organisations basically just sending somebody wherever they feel they should be sent, because as as has been exhibited here. Not only has he not gotten to go where he wanted, but he's been sent somewhere further, and that to me is bad practice. Like that, that, that on a personal level would sour any relationship with those executives or that organization moving forward. And anyone that rocks with Reddick is probably going to have a sour taste in their mouth too. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the NBA figures something out. Obviously, by by the next CBA and stuff, I, I think things like this will end up being uh, discussed amongst the players' union and things. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate, but the game is the game, isn't it? So also to put it in context, this this wasn't some blockbuster trade. They got James Johnson, Wes Wundu, a second round pick, and some cash. Do you know what I mean? It was proper like, oh, it was just yeah, we'll get what we can. We'll get what we can. It was proper like asset for asset's sake. Like none of those things are really going to transform that franchise. It's not like he had to be, it was the deal breaker in a deal for them to get a franchise player back to partner with Zion. It was bits for bits. Which they were, uh, I guess they wanted a draft pick out of it and that's what they got, so. This is it. So, and then maybe they were just like, oh, you know, it's not that long to the season. He'll be out of contract at the end. But again, like the whole, um, the whole context of this is that he's like, he had face-to-face -face conversations repeatedly with David Griffin, was told, my, you have my word. And then that's the bit that's gone back on, so. And obviously, this isn't new to the league, but I think that what's interesting is, is the impact it might have on young players, seeing someone like that who does the right thing 15 years and still they can't even get like a little favour at the end of their career. I think that's what leaves us out of taste with it. Yeah, precisely. 
Moving on from that, uh, on, on the other side of the spectrum, we're not talking uh, role players or veterans at the tail end of the career. We're talking about guys in their prime, guys at the top of the top of the pile. Kevin Durant spat with Michael Rappaport. Um, this to me was hilarious. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a conversation between them through DMs that has been made public by Michael Rappaport, uh, which has been centered around comments that Rappaport had made um, alongside Charles Barkley saying that Kevin Durant was sensitive, which is something that gets thrown at KD quite frequently. Um, for all intents and purposes, I, I thought they had a pretty decent relationship, uh, Rappaport and uh, KD. Um, but yeah, from seeing the actual DMs and seeing the the fallout from it, it's quite interesting at how, how quickly that relationship got soured. Um, KD has subsequently been fined $50,000, um, which for someone at that level is pretty much Trump. Which also but, is just the same. That, that's like their go-to number now, like uh, tampering 50K and he's going to 50K. Listen, let me tell you, yeah, what that 50K is, is the NBA saying, yeah, we don't really care, but we've got to reprimand him somehow just so people know that. No, all right, give, me, give me a fiver. Give me a fiver. <laughs> but by the way, for anyone listening who's not familiar to... with Rappaport, because I wasn't sure, I could, I, by name, I didn't know him. It's that kind of pasty ginger actor who talks on basketball and is kind of a 90s sitcom guy, really. And you know his face, his flat face, but, and he's around sort of basketball talk shows. He's a bit of a troll and whatever. But because I just realized we're talking about Michael Rappaport, like Michael Rappaport really matters. Um, that first and surname and that uh, but yeah so if you google him you'll see oh that guy who's at courtside sometimes and and was in shows 10 years ago yeah that guy that i think the the interesting thing for me is obviously K, kd's come out and res, responded again and apologized and said oh look i don't want that to define how people view me and this that and the other which is just some pr bullshit anyway really yeah but to me the whole the whole sort of Cracker about it left a bad taste in my mouth because Michael Rappaport, all through Donald Trump's campaign to become president and actual tenure as president, um, referred to him as Dick Stain Donald Trump affectionately. Like that was exclusively how he referred to Donald Trump. And I found it hilarious because it, it, it's got a nice ring to it. But for it then to turn into a, a, a sort of homophobia conversation and like for people to draw the the sort of a uh, picture around KD being like this real nasty man for me is in bad taste it's like you got to be able to take as, as well as you give do you get what I mean I listen listen this- listen at the end of the day what we need to realize is that he said all of these things to Michael Rappaport I, f- I feel like Everything he said was completely justified. <laughs> that's, that's, per- <laughs> that's personally my opinion. I have no issue with anything he said. Like, I, I wish Michael Rappaport would have caught him, would have came and met him on the street, and KD would have punched him up as well. That would have made me happy. But at the end of the day, like, I can't really say too much. Like, Michael Rappaport is an annoying guy. Like, there's no way you could see this guy and not think he's annoying. So imagine having to be around him and stuff like that. Like, this guy is just irritating. Like, some people deserve to be told some harsh words in their DMs, and he's one of them. He, he, he definitely went the Karen route as well. He was just like, oh, I'm the victim, I'm the victim. But oh, it, is, it is ridiculous. Um, it, is, it is hilarious, though, because obviously now Rappaport has come out and he's he sort of uh, responded to the response and he said, oh, I wish this never happened. Like, sort of uh, ashamed of the way that things played out. But it's like, nobody would have known. There wouldn't be any fallout. You just kept your knickers in a bunch, mate. Like, there's no need for you to expose DMs unless you just want the attention. Clearly, that's what he was after. So I think that's all we'll say on that. Um, moving moving on into, into more NBA-centric real news. Um, obviously, with the, with the buyout period ending and teams actually being able to put these guys out on the court, do a bit of a review of some of the, some of the players that were moved during this period. Um, so first and foremost, we'll, we'll, we'll look at uh, probably the marquee person in that whole buyout period, who, in my opinion, was Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon moving from the Magic onto the 
Denver Nuggets and basically completing their roster in a way and filling in a massive gap that they had previously uh, in defense and shooting. Um, how do you guys, how, obviously he's played, he's played a few games now. Uh, the most notable one was the game against the Los Angeles Clippers. Their offensive rating is 129 and their defensive rating is 94. <laughs> With Aaron Gordon on the court. We'll continue. Well, yeah, obviously, obviously is, there is, is that good? Is that good? Uh, yeah. Nah, it's, it's 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 not. It's not. That's not too bad, right? <laughs> it's, Bro, it's, it's one of those. I think I think I think me and Reams are very um, aligned with this. In that, even before this move happened, we were like, "Yeah, that is a fit and a half." Because I mean, it's 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 kind of everything they lost with Jeremy Grant, but a better fit in that Jeremy Grant wanted to have this bigger role that he got in Detroit, whereas Aaron Gordon like just seems buzzing to even be there firstly like he genuinely seems excited obviously everyone when they join a new uh, situation and franchise is you know smiling in the interview and this that, and the other but if you actually see this guy like he requested the trade so he wanted a, a new surrounding and everything like that when you actually see him talk about playing with Jokic um all the new teammates the culture around the place like he's actually beaming like he is he's buzzing with the move and i think it is maybe one of the best fits you've seen in a trade in in ages they had they had sort of uh michael porter jr for the spot up stuff jamal murray doing what he does and and barton and monte morris and everything like that around Jokic, which was which was very good like they were a good team anyway who were finding their way as anyone who's listened regularly knows i'm, I'm big on denver this year and i was always expecting them to climb up the standings but this accelerates it just because he's such a good cutter off the ball he's such a good finisher around the rim his shooting has got better He's an underrated passer as well, which I don't think people quite realize. Like, you don't want him to be maybe your main playmaker or anything like that. But in a in a situation with a Jokic, with a Murray, where you have such two good, such good passers around you, when you just need that extra pass or the little one kicked out when you're going to the room, it's just a perfect fit. And where they have struggled late in games is people who can't keep up with the the athletic wings, who are the real scorers and stuff like that. Like they were putting kind of Will Barton on people. Um, one stands out to me recently against the Pelicans where um, Will Barton was just getting cooked by Ingram, like even though he's not the most athletic and is more just a long shooter. Now you've got Gordon who can just take on the Kawhi assignment as well as he did the other night. He was excellent against Kawhi. So it is just a perfect fit, man. Like And, and, and it makes them even better to watch a team that was already good to watch. And I, I, early signs are that it's, uh, he, he looks quite confident to re-sign there if I'm honest just because of the early things obviously a year and a half is a long time um but if I was a Denver fan I'd be buzzing with it and the last thing I'll say on the trade is because I guess we're talking about debuts but also maybe touching on who made the most of the deadline and who stood pat and maybe shouldn't have because I have a team that I'm looking at sideways for that but getting rid of Gary Harris's contract was amazing too that was one of the best parts of the move to be honest I said on the when I went on my little monologue about Denver on the second half preview pod, I said without even seeing any rumours or anything that I would quite like them to move that. I didn't think they would because he's a big culture guy there, Gary Harris. He's a long-standing player. He's been there ages. He's valuable um, to a lot of the players there. But I always saw that as just a bit in the way of them realising potential. And I, I did want them to move off that contract of a guy who isn't great offensively and is injured a lot. So the fact that they were able to get rid of that contract for Aaron Gordon, who's on less money and is a better fit, was just amazing. Like that, like we knew it was the trade of the day, but just looking at the debut and the two games since, um, he's got great rapport with Jokic. I think like a third of his baskets have already been assisted by Jokic alone. Um, I'm, I'm surprised at how quickly he's actually assimilated to the team and, and got involved, to be honest. Like they're reading his moves, they're reading his cuts straight away. He's, it's just, it's a perfect fit, man. Yeah, I feel like you guys will know I've been very high on Aaron Gordon for a minute. Like, and I was always shocked that people was just so they, they valued him so low. Like, I guess like being on a team like the Magic, that's kind of like an irrelevant team. Like, most people just won't know. But like, when like for example, the Timberwolves was linked with either John Collins or Aaron Gordon, I was just like, listen, you can look at the base numbers and say that John Collins is averaging more points, more rebounds. But you're, you're thinking about building a, a fit around your best players and who's gonna fit. And Aaron Gordon fits so seamlessly into pretty much every team. Like, the things he could do on the ball, off the ball, 
great defender. He could defend. He's big, strong, athletic. He could guard bigs, but he could still move his feet, get out on the perimeter, guard good perimeter players. Kawhi Leonard, Ben Simmons, versatile defender. Um, you, you you put him with a guy like Jokic, who's a who's an amazing playmaker. Like the the big difference between him and Jeremy Grant is when Jeremy Grant was there offensively, Jeremy Grant was basically just spotting up. That was basically his role on offense. But Aaron Gordon, you have the he has a he's a lob threat. He's a short roll threat. He could cut. He could spot up. You could give him the ball with like six seconds left on the shot clock. He could create his own offense. Like he's just such a versatile player that fits seamlessly into a championship team. And like he's for me, he's a championship piece. Like I don't know how you can look at this guy's skill set and not think he's he's a championship piece. He doesn't need to average twenty two a game to, to to contribute to winning. He does it so many ways. And they and another underrated thing is they got him right during their like championship window where they're ascending to be a contending team in the middle of his prime. He's not like a Paul Millsap that, that he got towards at the back end of his career. So him coming in now, you you slide that veteran Paul Millsap onto your bench. That makes your bench a little bit better, a bit more experienced. So there's many like knock-on effects of him. It's just an amazing trade for me. And like what they gave up as well, they gave up, they gave up a young good player in RJ Hampton, fair enough. But like they wanted a guy that's going to help them win right now. And that was Aaron Gordon. And like, yeah, they, they just got much better. Man, I feel like... I wouldn't be shocked if they climb up to maybe even the third, second seed by the end of the season. Like they're they're, they're my favourites to make out the West. I think I think the other thing as well. You talked reams on like their ratings, offensive rating, defensive rating, and I know some of the boys talked about Gordon a little bit on the last podcast. Um, obviously, we're talking a bit more about how he's impacted since joining. They talked about it more in theory, I guess, but like just that Sixers game where they blew them away in the first first uh, quarter. The Sixers have the best defense in the NBA, even without Embiid. Like, they've got length all over the place. They're switchable. They've got Simmons. They've got Harris, who's been defending well. Like, Howard actually has a funny thing with Jokic where he could actually get at him a little bit. They just blitzed them away. Like, it was uh, ridiculous. Transition Aaron Gordon had Ben Simmons in hell as well. He had Ben Simmons oh, in hell. He had him wrapped up, like, because Ben Simmons needs that mismatch to really get his points if he's not driving aggressively. And he just yeah. got nothing out of it. The other thing I'd say, the only thing that I think is going to change for the Nuggets, and this is one I have vested interest, and this is why I'm a little bit, is before they had Gordon, they had Murray fighting a little bit injury. Um, Michael Porter Jr., until he got starting berth, was really inconsistent. Um, Paul Millsap missed time. Gary Harris missed time. Now they've got everyone firing everyone healthy. Jokic isn't having to do his 37-point triple-doubles anymore to win games. And he's taking... Not a backseat, but he's becoming facilitator first, first and foremost. So if you look at their box scores recently, their last three games since Gordon's come in, I think pretty much the starters all average 15 to 20 points. Like it's a proper pick your poison offense now for teams where Barton will get 15, Gordon will get 16, Murray will get 20. And MPJ is shooting ridiculous numbers just okay, he might be limited to a shoot rebounder role, but he is one of the best shooters in the league just percentage-wise. So I think it's, it's, it's not great for Jokic's MVP case, to be honest. Like, but yeah, but, he's, no, the but you, he, the he's the type of player to not really care about that, I think. But it's better for Denver as a team. Most of Porter Jr. shots are wide open as well. Like, wide open. They're giving him, like, catch-and-shoot opportunities where, like, they have to, they're trying to trap Jokic. They're trying to stop Jamal Murray. So he's just... He's just going to keep shooting it lights out, to be honest. So yeah, there's, it's, it's there's, looking, there's a lot of problems now on the floor. For it's, looking, it's, it's, it's looking good for the Nuggets. I can't lie, man. They look, they, they, they're really good. Their they bench, good. they need Monte Morris back for the bench. That's the only like gripe I have because them bench units be 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 they be they be losing leads very quickly. But when they get Monte Morris back, that should help out with that. So obviously, we've we've spoken on uh, one of the success stories in in Gordon. Obviously, there were quite a few big moves or moves that make contenders better. Um, one of the ones that is going to be interesting to watch and we haven't seen much of yet because he hasn't suited up is Rondo on the LA Clippers. Um, <laughs> where, do you, where do we feel he is going to propel them, if anywhere different? Um, because they were obviously linked with pretty much any point guard out there who could do a bit of a playmaking job as well as be a hassle on defense. Um, but he's been relegated to that cheerleader from the sidelines at the minute uh, through injury again. Um, do we see him coming straight in and, and affecting them positively? Because they have sort of been middling recently. So, 
who is this? Rondo. I, I was gonna let Reeves take this one, but I, I can go. Um, I think. Do you know what? I think it will be good. I think they'll move the needle, but I don't think they'll move the needle enough. Um, I just, unless he comes in with a real culture adjustment, fire up everyone's ass, attitude adjustment, I just don't feel like they have enough about them just mentality-wise, aggression-wise. They, what was that? So the Magic... Um, arguably almost winners at the trade deadline. I thought they had completely tanked everything, but they've actually had some good wins since they got rid of Vooch and Fournier and Gordon. But they shouldn't be losing to the Magic, the Clippers. I don't care who they were missing. You had Kawhi on the floor, you had people on the floor, and they conceded a 12-0 run late in the game. And then I remember just at the end of that game, you looked at Kawhi's sort of body language, and even Kawhi, man, like, I don't think he will leave just because of the living situation that he's sorted himself, but I don't think this is how he envisaged the situation to go um, when he joined. And obviously there's last year's embarrassment. I think Rondo will come in and definitely take the ball out of Kawhi's hands a little bit, Paul George's hands a little bit, so that teams have to look behind them, have to look sideways, have to fear more of a threat. But then I don't know if you really want that in close games in the playoffs. And every move they make is about close games in the playoffs. So I think it will be... Better than what Lou Williams would have offered because Lou Williams in the playoff, you, you have to really worry about the other side of the court defensively and he wasn't even hitting big shots in last year's bubble or anything like that. But I think the biggest thing would be if Rondo is going to do anything is that culture shift, attitude adjustment, how good he'll be for his fanboy and Terrence Mann, who's been really good recently, by the way. Um, but I just don't think it's enough. I think it was a solid move in, in isolation, in a vacuum. I like the fit there. He was linked in the offseason anyway, but they didn't want to pay him that much. But I just don't think it's enough. And like you said, he hasn't even suited up yet. So what's his fitness like going to be going through the season? He's, what, 34 now, I think? 33, 34 with an adductor injury. He had an injury going into the playoffs last year. The Lakers were lucky he came back for that and was so good. Playoff Rondo, yeah, it's a thing. Nationally televised Rondo is a thing. But whether it's enough for the Clippers, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how Reims feels about it. Um, I'm a little bit shocked at how much kind of that's what I'm looking for. At how high people are on this Rondo trade. Like I get it, they needed a facilitator, they needed a, a culture guy, a leader, so he, he fits that um description, but just how useful he is at this stage. Obviously, they're, they're banking on the whole player front of it. Even last year in the playoffs, he had lots of big games, but he had lots of horrible games as well, you know what I mean? And Obviously, in the horrible games, you still had Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis shooting lights out for mid-range and LeBron James. So, in I feel like his margin for error last year in the playoffs was a bit bigger than it will be this year with like the guys he got with him at the Clippers. The, the the main worry for me with the Clippers is they've leveraged their future for two star players who whose bodies look like they're breaking down by the game, like. Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard, like we know Kawhi Leonard plays hurt every time he plays anyway, but like he's slowly losing some of his burst, he's slowly losing his first step. Paul George looks like he has to sit out a game every time he plays, so their their window isn't as like long as we that as we first imagined, in my opinion, because they're both their best players, their bodies are slowly starting to deteriorate. Um, in the in the playoffs, what I will say is like Rondo will make it easier for them to create offense down the stretch because it will make them a little less predictable in terms of Kawhi just dribbling the ball up, trying to mu muscle his way to a spot and pulling up for a jump shot or something like that. They could come off screens, pin downs, get some some open looks with Rondo facilitating and making decisions down the place down down the stretch. So that will help. But I feel like I don't know if Rondo is really moving the needle for them to 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 go and be a championship team. Like they lost to Denver last year. And I feel like we've all just said that Denver Denver has improved a lot. And like Jokic, Jokic is playing better than he was last year leading into the playoffs. Jamal Murray was playing better than he was last year leading into the playoffs. Then when they got into the playoffs, they got to a different level again. And like Jokic is one of the few guys that his level of play always, like he's been in the playoff for three years in a row now. And his level of play is always like, Got gotten better in the playoffs, and so is Jamal Murray. So, um, whereas Paul George is notorious for his level of play, kind of 
dipping in the playoffs. So it's, it's for me, it's not really looking good. Um, I feel like you you always have to give them an opportunity because if Kawhi Leonard plays like the Kawhi Leonard we've seen in past playoffs, and now he doesn't quote unquote have the the, the pressure to be the leader now that Rondo's there and Rondo could get guys motivated and get guys concentrated and make sure guys don't 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 slip where they where they're slipping, then maybe it'll make things easy for him. But it's a it's a it's a big if at this moment in time. And like I just feel like the the the, the, the teams that they have to go up against just they just seem more reliable in my opinion. I'm not sure how you guys feel, but yeah like yeah, one of the things that worries me about it is obviously if they had made that move during the during the postseason um, or during the offseason, sorry, they would have somehow been able to maintain a little bit more depth, which for that Clippers team was always one of their strong suits. You look down down the roster and there was always an, an additional player who could come in and contribute. Obviously, that didn't show out in the bubble, but that's how you construct rosters. Now they're in a situation where, okay, they've got Rondo, but they don't have Lou Will. They don't have Montrez Harrell from last year. So you're sort of looking down that roster and you're like, where, where are the additional points going to be generated from? And, and it's I think, I think I think Terrence Mann has been pretty good. Terrence Mann has last been last few good. games, Terrence Mann has yeah. been really good. Um, and I think, I think the only concern I've got for them is when you see like uh, reactions to games, the, the people that... Terrence Mann, I, I like actually. like and, and I think he could be pretty consistent sort of eight, ten points a game, few assists, few still like, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's all that you need if... Kawhi that's a lot. That's a lot in the playoffs, man. Yeah, that's all you need if they're if they're doing their thing, really. Um, but then you look at like the reaction of Clippers fans are getting excited because Reggie Jackson's been good. We know how this story ends. Clippers uh, fans have been excited because Luke Kennard is putting together a few games now, and he's looking. But we kind of know that he will have three good games, two games, and then, and then drop off. And then Reeves's point about the the conditioning of Kawhi, like the grind of the playoffs last year, got to Kawhi. By the end of that Denver series, you, you never knew whether it was just the mentality of choking a 3-1 lead that was getting to them. But he didn't look... that By the seventh game of that, he looked done. And already now he's starting to slow down again. And because they've had their injuries, I think... So that Magic game, I think they were missing uh, Morris, Marcus Morris. They were missing, I think, a couple perimeter guys. So Kawhi had to play like 42 minutes. And by the end of that game, he looked fucked. So, yeah, I, I, I just... I, I'm on record, like, I take back what I said off-season, I thought their moves were so good. I thought Ibaka looked so good with them early on. Um, I thought Luke Kennard would maybe do something around better players. But I just, um, yeah, I'm out on them in terms of in terms of playoffs. I would like to see Rondo just as a Rondo fan do something, but I just don't think the mentality is right there, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think the, la- the last point on that as well is obviously him, him not having as big a role during the regular season last year was mitigated by the fact that he did have that chemistry with AD already sort of in the bank. They'd played together, they'd run offense together, they'd been quite successful. Good point. Not having Rondo uh, in in these stretches of games and not being able to build up that chemistry throughout the course of the regular season, as they would have been able to do if they signed him during the offseason, sort of leaves them in a position where they're going to be figuring it out during the playoffs again. And that that is pretty much what fucked them last year. Individual performances aside, it was a case of you could tell that they lacked chemistry, they lacked di- they lacked direction, and they didn't really have their rotation figured out to be able to counter people's threats when it really mattered. So I I, I suspect that it will be more of the same. Uh, Last little word on the Rondo one. Um, obviously, we haven't seen his debut, so we can't really make any conclusions yet. But what I did find funny is the reaction online. Everyone who's like forty and above or and played in the league when Rondo was in his prime or Draymond was like best trade of the day. Everyone uh-huh. who has only seen Rondo like at New Orleans and the Kings and is a younger fan were like, why the fuck are they giving cash and, and a pick away to get this guy? So uh, it was funny to see the generation gap in, in what they think Rondo's gonna gonna bring to this. It, it was some people are still stuck in 2012. Last lastly on this, uh, just a quick a quick word from from you guys in terms of uh, missed opportunities and successes. Uh, so, just a quick snapshot. Yaz, who would you are say? Not, are we not going to talk on the now red hot Evan Fournier after going zero of ten in his debut? He went and hit five threes in a row. You always need to play Houston Rockets to get your confidence up. So now, <laughs> now, now we're flying. Um, 
missed opportunities. Uh, I I don't know why the rap. I said like one of the first pods this season. Get some good stuff for Kyle Lowry. Get rid of Siakam again because of the contract he's on. If he's a problem, which has now transpired that he is a bit of a problem. Not even not even as a player. I'm not gonna be like. I'm not gonna be cliche and cringy and talk about his spin moves and his late game execution because he's a good player and some of those have been out and in those shots and it's just one of those things and he's been out for. But him and Nick Nurse just have this thing going on where there's a problem there. Um, the contract like, and the upside of him, you could have still got a really good haul for Siakam. They're clearly trending in the direction of soft rebuild with where they're going to finish. Right as we speak, I think they're their seventh pick in the draft, in a really good draft, which we're going to get onto later. Um, and then they just, at the deadline, were just being too stubborn on Lowry. Like, everyone kind of expected even Lowry, it sounds like, to be traded. And they were demanding mad stuff. Like, he's on a 30 million contract, might walk, and now you've got nothing for him. They look like they might have even shut him down for the season now because he's got this right foot injury, which has apparently been troubling him all year. So you had the Sixers and the Lakers interested and people sort of wanting Lowry to boost their contention window. You knew he had a bit of an injury, by the way. So just get what you can for him while while you can, even if it's a pick or whatever, Like, because they're clearly trending in that direction. Um, I think they did well to get... Um, Gary Trent. Uh, Gary Trent. Gary Trent. Trent. Yeah. I, think they, I think that's a really nice piece. And he started pretty well, to be fair. Norman Powell was, wasn't going to pay for what he wanted. Um, like that was a nice little move from them. But I think they might just, if Lowry is to bounce, I think they'll regret demanding a little bit too much for him at the deadline, especially now that they're shutting him down and aren't going for a playoff, playoff push. Like, what, what was the thinking there? Was it just greed or whatever? Because apparently they were demanding Thibault and Maxi and this and that. So I think I think that was a bit of a missed opportunity for them, um, and I feel like the Lakers could have done with a move as well. The Drummond thing, the first half of Drummond's Laker career was hilarious. Let's awesome. let's just, let's just, let's just put this. I get that he hadn't played basketball for a while. Let's, let's just put it, let's just put this on record. Andre Drummond is not good at basketball. <laughs> he's not he's not good at this and, game. The whole, whole thing is about the whole thing is about will he be better in a really limited role, uh, and he still might be in it. But no, like, no, that's, he's that's very bad. It. He won't but, play in the playoffs. He's very bad. This is the thing. Like, even he's they they're gonna get schemed out in the playoffs. Like, even even Howard like was for specific matchups. Exactly. Howard in the playoffs last year was going battering Ram Jokic against against the rock against the Rockets. Howard and McGee couldn't play. <laughs> you couldn't play at that matchup. They had to. They had to start flipping. They had to start Morris. Um, Markeith Morris. Yeah, Markeith played the five in it. So yeah. I don't know. The Drummond thing made me laugh. Like the first half, he got. I think it was. He was like two of six or two of seven from the field. Um, he had four points, one rebound, which is the whole thing that they apparently signed him for, just to be that really limited role. And then he got a toe injury, which I don't think is serious, but it was still a funny debut after all the furore and debate about. Andre Drummond being the third of a big three, which I saw graphics made of online. Oh, which made yeah, Lakers, Lakers, Lakers to uh, are beyond but, delusional, man. I think they, um, I think they should have maybe been a bit more aggressive for a wing. Um, that you talk about contention windows. I know it looks like he'll never stop, but LeBron will stop eventually. Um, and you, what you make, you have to make the most of every single LeBron season you have. And I don't think they are. I've said from the jump that I don't. I think they're overrated this season, and I think they could have made a move at the deadline if they're aggressive. Lowry, I don't think was it. To be honest, I don't think he was it. But they clearly weren't happy because they were in talks for stuff. So they clearly were in talks for stuff and didn't get things done. So even they know that it was a bit of a missed opportunity. I think. Which uh, leads me to uh, the other famed franchise. For me. The Boston Celtics uh, missed opportunity being in the run into or being linked to Aaron Gordon and not being able to figure out something that uh, can work for me is a big indictment. You touched on it quite eloquently in terms of uh, that particular piece in Gary Harris and what he means to that Nuggets organization and to that back room and to that uh, locker room even. He's a culture guy. First and foremost, he's a culture guy, but he has injuries and the sort of fit on court became a little bit awkward. While you were saying that, 
I couldn't stop thinking about Marcus Smart. I rate this guy very, very highly. I think he's one of the best teammates in the NBA for all accounts. He adds a lot in terms of the on-court defense, the the ability to basically take up whatever sort of role you need him to in a, in a moment. He's shown that he's able to do that in, in, in moments. Why not leverage him for an Aaron Gordon to make you instantly better in two key components? I have, I have, I have the answer for you, Say. Go ahead. Because two things. Number one, uh, he's available. So he hasn't got the health issues of a Gary Harris. Um, like He does get injured, but then he usually returns pretty quick from them. And number two, it's sad to say, but, well, there's three really, but number two, it's sad to say, but they, with Gary Harris being out so much this season, the Nuggets just stumbled upon a lineup where they kind of, re it's like, you ever been with a girl, yeah? And you, you think it, you think it's, it's like, it's kind of, you know, when you were younger and like every link or every relationship meant more, it was like, shit, I need to, I need to make the most of this or whatever. And then like a year later, you're like, no, that was ridiculous. I did not need to put that much <laughs> energy into that. They had a little bit of moment like that with the Nuggets. They were like, we can't move Gary Harris. Gary Harris is such a good perimeter defender. And, you know, he's been here for so long. And then they had that lineup for a consecutive amount of games, like 15 games of Morris, Barton, um, uh, Jokic, Porter Jr. And and who did they have at the four playing at that time? Um, no, he, Porter was at the four. And then Murray, obviously. And then they kind of realized, shit, we have a better defensive rating with this five than when Gary Harris is in. And he just became expendable. I don't think the Celtics are in a position, sadly, to be at that point with Marcus Smart. He's a lot more important to the Celtics than, than Gary Harris was to the Nuggets. And I think, I think it's not, I don't think we miss an opportunity um, in that because we weren't in a position to. I think if we lost Smart, gained Gordon, great we've got a nice another nice big wing who can take on assignments but now we've lost the only playmaker we really have like got Marcus Smart is the only real guard who we have who can create Kemba's a volume scorer Kemba's a guy who looks for his own shot Marcus Smart when he's playing more disciplined um he's not had a great year Marcus Smart I, I, he's probably his worst year for the last three but he's still so integral to making the ball move um as well as the cultural stuff defensively he's just too important. And I think if we were in a stronger position, like if it was 2019 and we were stacked and la, 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 then we would have been able to make a trade like that. Um, but I just feel like we're, we were so weak that any addition that involved subtraction would have been a sideways step for us. And that's where I think the Fournier move, I get it. I don't love it. If he doesn't resign, I think it's, it's, it's poor. You can still get a, another exception out of him and stuff, but at least we didn't have to give anything away. That was a pure addition. So I think that is the that was the deciding factor because we were in talks for Gordon the whole time and it seemed like the holdups were first round pick, which we didn't give away, Marcus Smart, which we didn't give away. And I think we're going to need the first round pick for any, well, we are for any big move that might come. We're probably going to need the first round pick to get off Kemba's contract, sadly. Um, and I think we just couldn't afford to give any piece away. And that's the sad reality of it in that we weren't in a position of strength. So getting Fournier for two second round picks, I, I do like the move. I've, I'm on record saying I, I would have liked a soft rebuild, to be honest. They've obviously kind of gone down the middle in that they just wanted to add and, you know, let's try and make a run and la, la, la. I think we don't really have, with our cap space, we don't have an opportunity to add too much with the Kemba contract. And I thought the draft this year could have been a really cool opportunity to do that while Tatum is still young, Brown is still relatively young, Smart even is still relatively young. Um, I thought that was a good opportunity, but that's gone now. I can't moan about about a soft rebuild and and a, and a semi tank and and being sellers at the deadline. I can't moan about that anymore. It's gone. Um, but I think that is why we couldn't get the Gordon one done. It's just we weren't in a position of strength to subtract anything, so we had to just get a deal done where it was a pure addition. Reams, from from your standpoint, as somebody who, like myself, has seen their franchise go through that long, hard rebuild of basically seeing young players transition, new players be brought in and, and the rankings not really change too much. Where do you sit on what the Boston Celtics could have or potentially should have done during that, that period in order to positively affect the rest of their season? Because I know you are high on Gordon um, yourself. So where, where do you stand on that? 
I feel like the Celtics for the last maybe three years have been a bit too gun shy in making decisions and it's kind of backfired because I feel like the the whole ideology behind it was uh we have young players to build around so we don't have to we don't have to force anything we don't have to rush anything we don't have to force anything and there was a period of time where they looked like they was genuinely contenders and because of that kind of like lack of willingness to go out and make aggressive moves they've kind of regressed so i feel like this year was just like a culmination of that because um everything all the decisions that they've that they made in the past that would have made them better has kind of come back now to bite them and now they're really like they're they're a playing team they're not really a contender like last year they were in the conference finals this year they might never make the playoffs so i feel like i it's hard to like yeah said like soft rebuild tank it's hard how can you really tank when you have two all-stars it wouldn't have been but the thing is those two all-stars you can't tank but like you said we're we're in the standings and the, the way the east is so packed Bro, we've been playing Jalen Brown hurt. He's got he's had a knee issue for weeks. Just sit him on back to backs. Then you lose the second back to back. You might lose the first back to back. Um, Jason Tatum, we were playing 40 minutes after only missing five ga- games with COVID, and he was public on not being able to get his breathing back. Sit him. Do you know what I mean? I think like Marcus Smart tore his calf, was straight back in the lineup 35, 40 minutes, because we have no depth. Um, and I think that was your opportunity. And I think that opportunity is gone now. I don't think it was tank. But I think it was just manage your guys' health for next year while the East is looking I, how it is. I, I, I hear that. And like those are things that's kind of like out of like the front office's control. But what's in their control is you have two young star players. Put guys around them that's going to make you win right now because they're good enough to win. They've been to the Eastern Conference Finals. Jalen Brown's but been the to the Eastern Conference Finals three times. So the only problem I'd say with that is almost according to the leaks, anytime we try and make a move, because we have no pieces outside of Smart, Brown, Tatum, because we have no pieces, anyone who has a big player to give, like a Beal or whatever, they want Brown in that discussion or Mm -hmm. they want so-and-so in that discussion. So that is, again, that is my big thing about why I saw this year's draft as one of the last opportunities to really add someone without having to give something up. You've drafted poorly in recent years as well, so that's a that's a. But obviously, yeah, this, dra- this draft is kind of hard to draft poorly because it's so stacked. But it's it's tough as well because like we drafted so well for the years consecutively. If you look at the years, the five years prior to these last two, we uh the last those five drafts gave our smart Rosier, Rob Williams, Tatum, and Brown. That is five hits in five years, right? But then this last two where they had these assets and the assets didn't convey how we thought they would. Everyone thought that the last two years, 14th pick were actually going to be like a sixth and an eighth. And everyone was banking on the Grizzlies and Sacramento not being good enough to make them 14th. That was in hindsight, oh, you've got to sell those picks, get rid of those picks. But then beforehand, it was, oh my God, look at these amazing picks. So these last two years and having six rookies and second year guys has, has killed the depth. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. That's why I'm not too mad at the Fournier deal, though. Like, Jalen Brown is not a ball handler. I think this season's kind of proved that. He, as much as he wants to be, and he's improved at it, the passing thing don't come natural to him. He is a cutter. He's a spot-up guy. He's a drive-to-the-rim guy. Jason Tatum has looked a better passer at times this year, but you can only look so good on the box score when you're kicking it out to Grant Williams and Semi Ojale. Um and I think Fournier is like a nice compliment. He he went 0 for 10 in the debut and it was a mess. He didn't do much see, better in this game because he only got see what, see what just But saying. at least he can handle it a bit though, Dreams. He can handle it a bit. He can shoot off the catch. He can shoot off the screen. So he's different. That's the only thing I'd say. And I know you, you, you've, you've, you've made this point before, but like Gordon Hayward helped with that a lot because he took the ball out of a guy like Jalen Brown's hands because Gordon Hayward can bring the ball up the court. He could facilitate. He could play off the ball as well. He's a versatile player and he made things yep. easier for Tatum and Brown. And people probably that didn't watch as much as you probably thought Hayward was hurting their game. But really, he was making the game easier for them. You two are witnesses. I've been clowned mercilessly in this offseason just gone for saying that we're going to miss Hayward and we've missed a, a contending window because Hayward's gone. And I was looked at like a clown because obviously the narrative was, ah, oh, Hayward, this, this, that and the other. But it Injured, la, la, la. He's been awful for two years. But yeah, like Reams just said, he was a really good 
fit because he was willing to just bring it up, pop it around, take on assignments. I think Fournier is nowhere near the defender that Hayward is, but at least with a low risk move, you hope if he resigns, we've we've somewhat replaced that ability to be able to kind of just move it side to side, be a threat in the corner, have some gravity that isn't all Tatum and Brown. Like the amount of attention Tatum and Brown have been able to get, especially on nights where Kemba's shooting like shit, um, which has been too common. I think Fournier does help that. Now, where, would he have been my dream move? No, um, I would have liked Gordon. But then the argument, I guess, is that Gordon overlaps with Brown quite a bit. Um, it's, it's not a bad move, but if I'm honest, my real desire for this season, once we got halfway through, was that little soft priority of next year. But that's gone now, and I don't think we can really do that unless we get very lucky in the draft and someone falls into our lap. Um, but I'm at this point now where, to be honest, it is what it is. Like I think maybe, say, I don't know if, if you're going to ask, but what the issue is with the Celtics now, I think you just you just run with it and, and hope for the best. But I think it is short-sighted from them. Like everyone, will, if if we make a run and we finish fourth in the East, which is possible because of how bad the East has gone, everyone will say, "Oh, what you got to the playoffs? You just got bounced, and you know, you what were you moaning about soft tank?" But I, I do think that there needed to be a bit more long-term thinking in terms of setting up Brown and Tatum for the next two years rather than forcing them through this year when the whole roster's been hurt. Whether it's Kemba hurt, Tatum had COVID, Rob Williams had COVID. Jalen Brown's had knee tendonitis most of the year. Marcus Smart tore his calf. Like, just, bro, no one can be mad at you for writing that sort of a season off. You've got, the, you're, fifth, you're less than 500 with, what, 40 games, 30 games left, 25 games left? You've had all these injury issues. Like, you're allowed that year off, bro. You don't have to force it through and, oh, we're Boston, la, 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 la. You don't have to do it. I think, I think, I think that's a tough And you've got the Nets there. And you've got the Nets there. Well, yeah, you 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 lot will get smacked anyway, but that that's that's a conversation for another day. Um, the Boston Celtics over the last couple of years, in 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 terms of the squad building, for me has left a lot to be desired. I think a lot got made about. Oh, but this is the thing: I get it for the last two, but then it's only three years before that that we were the most stacked mastermind. What a compilation! And then and then and then obviously when you if, if people are leaving and they're getting offered more than you were willing to pay, as much as I think Hayward was good, I don't want to give him 120 million over four years. As much as Al Horford was really important to us, I don't want to give him 28 million a year for four years. And I think they were, as much as they hurt us in hindsight, not having those players in a year, you don't want to be locked into any of those deals. Al Horford now has been shut down by OKC and can't go anywhere. Gordon Hayward everyone said it was ridiculous the contract he got so then to say oh no they should have kept him on that money is a little bit it's, it's not it's, it's not so much it's not so much keeping the players i think i think when you when you're in a position where you're negotiating with a player and this goes for for any sport you should have some sort of contingency plan to say okay cool if we don't land this we'll move in this direction but for from my vantage point I haven't seen that in anything. The only the only time we've really seen that is with the Kembo replacing Kyrie Irving. And even that is is such a sort of surface level acquisition. It's like, oh, let's get let's get a, a guard that can dribble and, and and score. Like Kyrie Irving is more than that. And I feel like that's that's been made apparent by his year at the net obviously. It's a lot easier to play with James Harden and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, James Harden might have had something to do with that. <laughs> But at the same time, that 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 again for me goes to a locker room dynamic where, again, he was pitched as the problem child in that. But we're seeing now, currently, without him and without the other veterans in in, in there, who for me on a personal level, I could see how that dynamic shifted when your young stars ascend way above their station and you start to move in a different direction. These things happen. Now I'm seeing that. Okay, cool. Tateman Brown as your pillars might need that third guy who can pull it all together. Maybe, maybe not. They definitely do. They definitely do. They definitely do. I think the, the funny thing about the um, Celtics is I think we're, as much as I've clowned this team for their mentality, I think we're very similar to the Clippers in that you've got Tatum and Brown who semi-replicate a Kawhi and Paul George, and they do need a third player. And I'm one of the, there's a courtside focus video dropping today on Rob Williams and how he, 
now I think he's in a position where, again, you you wonder why front offices make these moves. And at the time you're like, wow, what a Miss Horford is. On that video, I kind of mentioned how, wow, you know what, Rob Williams is kind of fulfilling this Horford slot a little bit in these last few games yeah. when he's been starting. Um, I think they do need that extra guy. And I think the guy has to be right. So when I see us linked to Brad Bill, I'm thinking that is the wrong move entirely. Um, and like you said, Kyrie, problem child, I think it's not, it both can be true at the same time that he was a problem that year at the Celtics and he is now not a problem at the Nets almost as a result of that year because you learn from every season you have and he's obviously now surrounded by vets as opposed to young players that he has to bring through when he is maybe not that guy. He's a person who maybe is more a guy who is second or third or and isn't vocal and says the wrong thing sometimes and is more a thinker and can overthink and can misstep, which is calm. And I think he's in a better position now. He's at home. He's playing for the team. He's always supported. And I think he even kind of regrets how it ended in Boston a little bit. I think, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's something along I that think, line. When I he think did. everyone, everyone sort of learned from that. Um, the organization maybe, maybe won't go that direction again in the next, in the next uh, couple of years. But for me, where, where it gets interesting is, again, when when these players show certain qualities, I think the the back offices tend to, or the front offices tend to look at, look at the situation on a real surface level and they say, okay, now we have these two young superstars who could potentially lead the franchise, but they don't necessarily focus as much on the fit. If you're just, just going to leave that in the hands of a Marcus Smart, who is never really going to be an all-star caliber player at this moment in time. Maybe you look at another player who can sort of add some of the things that he does. He's not all-star, but he is all defense. So like, it's, they don't, I, arguably, I feel like, I feel like looking for all-stars is maybe the Celtics problem, to be honest. If you want to talk about Kemba, when we got Kemba, he was still an all-star starter the season with us. And that has now come back to bite us. So I think all-star isn't the, isn't the problem. It's just the right fit. And I, I, I go both ways on this in terms of oh, flexibility to make those moves. I think this offseason is a massive one. And I think the financial position we're in, we need to get off Kemba's contract. By the way, Kemba has not been awful. It's just like... He's, he's a terrible fit for me. For me, like, good, I can't see where good that's, that's the problem. You, you, you've got to move him, man. Like, honestly, on that contract that he's on with... Tatum and Brown, how it's not working out. You, you gotta, you gotta find a way to move Kemba. Honestly, it's, it's the money and it's the fit, and it like, and the thing is, everyone's like, ah, oh, you know, he's washed. He, he'll go to a, a lower down team and and still be or good. Twenty five, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he'll be able to shoot. He'll be able to get in rhythm. He'll be able to have the ball in his hands. But it's just, it's just not the right fit at all. Um, if you actually look at his splits, it's fine. It's like twenty points, five assists, la la la. He's shooting kind of what he's always shot percentage-wise, but it's just not the right fit. Ironically, I think Fournier is a better long-term fit than Kemba is for the next three, four years, just because he's happy to be spot up, come around the screen, pin down, go receive it. Um, so we need to get off that. And I think that will tell us a lot about where we want to go and where we're able to go. But that, again, is just, I just feel like we will regret not maximising the year off that we were kind of entitled to get three Eastern Conferences finals in the last four years, arguably overperforming every year except for the second Kyrie year. And then you've got all these health issues. It's a ridiculous COVID season without fans anyway. You've got a really good draft class coming up that have a lot of wings, a lot of interesting shooters. I feel like we'll regret just not making the most of that. And I will moan about it on the podcast for the next three years that this was the this was the draft which would have done it. This was the draft that which would have done it. So you'll get bored of hearing that in 2024. Especially when like the teams around you draft a player that you could have got and they end up being amazing. That's the I I know Reams gets annoyed when I say this, but those picks that we had that both landed at 14. Tyler Hero went at 13, Tyrese Halliburton went at 12. Look at the difference of our depth if we have two and then one space above. Imagine you have Halliburton and Hero backcourt off the bench, like. All of a sudden, we're not relying on Grant Williams and and uh, Jeff Teague and and all these sort of veteran signings to provide anything off the bench. And all of a sudden, oh, actually, they've got even more young players. And then we Halliburton can would have slid straight into that start, starting lineup. Hundred and fifty percent. Halliburton would have been that hundred percent. 
Halliburton would have been perfect, but he went two slots up. So, and you know, they would have drafted him as well because he fits the Boston kind of MO of like, yeah, yeah. Your yeah, exactly. team, college, like team first guy, team first yeah. guy, that sort of all Dog around. Dog on defense, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, for me, he's, he's, he's a shoe in for rookie of the year now. Like, I know we spoke last, last week about, um, the dynamic between him and maybe Anthony Edwards, but I, I think he's clear now. Lamelo can't win it, having having missed uh, basically the the remainder of the season. So yeah, Halliburton Rookie of the Year should have been a Boston Celtic. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so um, I guess to to quickly round off, um, were there any other teams that you guys felt could have made better of that? Well, do you know, what? I think one of the interesting ones that has maybe gone well is, and I don't often give you the chance to talk about the net side because I'm a bit fucking sick of it. <laughs> uh, but the Aldridge thing is something that the Nets didn't have, and I think that I think he now having well, seen what, that, what more could they want? <laughs> Something uh, they didn't have. But yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they didn't I have any, they didn't I've have anything. Through. They didn't have anything in the post, isn't it? So, like, let's say you go up against the Sixers, right? Uh, that debut with Aldridge, okay, the 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 stat line wasn't the most. Oh wow, whatever. And he is physically, but but like go against the Sixers, Saya. Yeah, before you go into depth, go against the Sixers and how you were even like three weeks ago. And Bean could come out onto the perimeter a bit. Simmons could come out onto the perimeter a bit, and then like you kind of have the matchup. Now, if you have Aldridge there passing out the post, and Bean has to worry about that. And then all of a sudden you've got Harris on someone he doesn't want to be on. You've got you've got Danny Green on someone that he doesn't really want to be on. And it just that one little offensive wrinkle, I think, could change a lot for you. Although physically he looks pretty done, you don't need to be quick to get in Lamarcus Aldridge's game has never been about athleticism anyway. He's always been a finesse player. Like he's always been a footwork post moves turn around jump shot I mean, like Lamarcus Aldridge has never banged low in the post ever in his life like he's always if you get him in the mid post he's gonna turn around and take his jump shot every single time like he's never been that guy so you don't really have to worry about him getting rough and rugged like he's still so skilled like no matter what he's still so skilled he can pass the ball he can stretch the floor he can, that jump shot looks like a layup sometimes you know what I mean so he's giving you eight to twelve points consistently at that <laughs> they already have three thirty a game guys so like an extra eight to twelve points that's their their belly's full right now. Precisely. I think I think the the important factor for me is obviously we started this season with um DeAndre Jordan pretty much as our sole big. Um we've gone into 10 day contracts, we've picked up like random pieces, we've tried them, they didn't work. Um Claxon comes back Sets a world of light, looks fantastic every time he's on the court. Um, and over the last over the last eight games or prior to the last game, um, he had basically closed for 72 of the available minutes um to DeAndre Jordan's zero minutes over those eight games. Uh, so it's clear that DeAndre Jordan was maybe the problem in terms of when we look at the roster and say, okay, cool, what do we need in late game situations? What do we need um, over the course of a game when it gets a bit closer? What do we need on defense? And DeAndre Jordan was proving that he was an it. So we brought in Blake Griffin, who gives you that lob threat, those short roll uh, opportunities to dish out and compliments the Jeff Greens, the uh, Bruce Browns, and all of these other guys who have been useful for us in in defensive phases of the game. Um, and yeah, it just proved it just proved that DeAndre Jordan probably wasn't the right fit anymore. And what LaMarcus Aldrich brings is, as you guys mentioned, uh, that post threat who is able to draw double teams, to kick out early and provide a bit more movement off the ball um, through, through that initial pass out of the post. He also gives you the pick and pop opportunities. He's a better, he's actually a better uh, interior defender than a lot of people may give him credit for at this moment in time. He's just a, a bit more switched on in that in that painted area. Um, so yeah, he's not going to be the the most prolific rim protector, but he's at least going to be able to get over to help enough to force indecision for the offense. Um, 
which again is something DeAndre Jordan just wasn't doing. So it's actually worked out in so many more ways than I anticipated um, because of the fact that realistically, now we have four guys who can play the big, big roles, either the four or the five, who are a bit more switchable than DeAndre was, who are a lot more prolific on offense than DeAndre Jordan is, and just give all more, us more... In- more impetus to get the best out of the players around them than DeAndre Jordan does. So literally we've just been able to shift a $10 million player to the bench far down the, the, the pecking order and just use him as, and when we need him in the playoffs, if things get a little bit sticky. So as and when never for DeAndre Jordan in the playoffs for you. Pretty much. I, I, I think in that, in that situation where we come up against an Embiid, I wouldn't. I wouldn't personally bet Claxton on him because of the size disadvantage. Um, you would probably go Lamarcus in certain situations, but if you just want somebody to be a bit of an irritant, just throw DJ on there. Get quick four fouls, beat and beat up a little bit, make him run, and try and try and try and stop the lobs. And that that that's literally his role from here on out. Like, and it's a spoil- four, four, four hard fouls as well. Proper fouls. Four hard fouls, exactly. <laughs> yeah. A couple. If, if, not, if DJ... Not just, not just uh, elbow touch. Proper fouls. Proper mm-hmm. Exactly. If, if DJ gets gets suspended for a couple of games, who cares? Who yeah. cares? Like, all you need to do is 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 draw that, draw that flagrant foul or make that flagrant foul that gets you ejected and saves us one game. And yeah, I'm confident we can beat any team in five. So there we go. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it is nasty. I can't lie. It's, it's disgusting. I'd prefer for us not to have done it, but fuck it, we're this here now. Funny thing. We'll, end, we'll end on this, uh, but the funniest thing is Sai is such a purist and really, I, I know in his life has really embraced the underdog net role and, you know, I just, I'm just i just here for the basketball, guys. I'm just here for the team this, defense this, and the this, 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 this is new. He's, sold, he's sold that shit. As soon as these trades and deadline moves got wrapped up, Sai was a changed man forever, bro. I got yeah, so no, I, we go embrace the embrace the darkness embrace the villain role <laughs> yeah 100% and and in in the in the uh, parallel universe where we don't win the title fuck it i didn't expect us to anyway that <laughs> that would be my <laughs> that would be my easy out i've never seen us 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 even close uh, by the jason kidd years um so yeah i'm just here for the ride that's fair yeah, I'd say that's 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 all we have for this episode. Um, we will be looking at uh, some of the draft prospects and things like that in a supplementary piece. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Keep it locked. Sports Social Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and community safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.